0: What's going on guys welcome to another episode of the clean libertarian podcast your one stop destination for everything involving the war on drugs and what the libertarians want to do about it today I had on a friend of mine Joe Hartman Joe is running for Congress. Um, And he's also a big proponent for ending the war on drugs. Uh, Today, we kind of had a little discussion and we go into kind of his position on on what he thinks uh, should happen and and where where we as a country are getting it wrong. And it actually kind of takes a little bit of a turn into a uh, topic that I really haven't thought much about, and that is daylight savings time. Uh, I'm sure you didn't think we'd be talking about that on this uh, show, but. Here we are. And it's actually a pretty uh solid topic of conversation. So I hope that you enjoy it. Hope you uh get something out of it. And uh gonna bring on Joe. All right. What's going on, Joe?
1: Hey, Drew. Good to be here.
0: All right. Well, uh Joe, I'm I'm glad that you came on. I'm glad that you uh Wanted to uh, sit down and d- discuss some of the drug war with me, some of the other aspects and finer finer points of the libertarian philosophy. But for the audience who maybe don't know who you are, why don't you give a brief little rundown, just just for a second, on who you are, uh, for the
1: audience. Uh, yeah, so my name is Joe Hartman. I'm uh, the Libertarian Party congressional candidate for the eighth district of Michigan. Um, I've been involved with the libertarian Party for just a couple years but I, I you know grew into libertarianism uh, with dr. Ron Paul's presidential campaign uh, in 2007 and eight uh, especially that really just, just changed the way that I look at at the political system and, and just you know the world generally and so uh, yeah I, I figured I'd I'd run for Congress it was it, we had ballot access in Michigan so I didn't have to do any work I just you know got to put my name on the ballot and and people uh, within the district, within the Libertarian Party, from you know, including Libertarian Socialists to more anarcho-capitalists, uh, they all thought it was a good idea that I run. So I had unanimous support, and uh, uh-huh. I you know, enjoyed the opportunity to, to chit-chat with people.
0: That's awesome, man. That ballot access, that is a motherfucker. That is a yeah. tough, tough battle. So you guys well, are looking good out there for that, huh? Wh-
1: well, uh, so the key – was that in 2018, Michigan legalized or had uh, the ballot initiative to legalize recreational marijuana. Uh So there was a higher turnout of liberty minded people. I think that was a big part of the reason because the governor candidate was, uh, you know, didn't have that big of a presence and he got a larger uh, than normal share because uh, generally turnout was higher. And so the fact that the, you know, legal cannabis being on the ballot uh, led to the Libertarian Party getting 3% in that governor race, which gave us ballot access throughout the state until 2024, I guess, or until the governor race in 2022 would then decide it again. So that made a big difference. I mean, a lot of people have to get all the signatures and it's a big, it's, you know, difficult to get on the ballot in a lot of states. So uh, it was something that the connection to, uh, you know, the the recreational marijuana made a big impact uh, for the party. And I yeah. think there's a, there's a, you know, a dynamic there that other states can, you know, hopefully take advantage of as well. I
0: had a, I had Rex Lawhorn on here. I don't know if you know who he is, but he was one of our, um, gubernatorial candidates back in 2018 he was on the podcast and that's one thing he brought up was that single issue voters are, are out there and and if we can get them to come to the polls it, it, a lot of times turn out favor favorably for libertarians and uh, what better way to get libertarians to the poll than try to legalize a drug of some
1: sort <laughs> like that yeah yeah different out states out. have had had different uh you know uh, bills about or resolutions to to legalize the recreational, but in Michigan, you know, we're allowed to grow 12 plants. We have, uh, yeah, I think, uh, anyway, the, the law is much more, uh, you know, it allows a lot more freedom than and in other states where there are still heavy restrictions. There's a lot of restrictions in terms of the amount of uh, businesses that are able to sell uh, the substances. So uh, yeah, Michigan has a, has a better version of the law than in other states. And, and I, there are, uh, you know, movements in other states using Michigan as, as more of a template uh, than some of the earlier states who adopted the policy. So it's, a, right on. it's an issue that Libertarian Party of Michigan is, is proud of our work. Not that I did anything, but, but the, the party itself, uh, you know, did put in some effort and, and, you know, helped guide that process along. And so, yeah, it won by like seven points, I think. So
0: That is close. Wow.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Wow. That's awesome, though, man. And that's a uh, sterling example of why state affiliates are so important. You know, um, a lot of times people will look at the Libertarian Party and they will knock whatever's going on in a national level and love them or hate them like the National Libertarian Party is so different than the state affiliate LP You know, the one that you have at home, the one I have at home, Um, what we do, and it's largely ran by people. They're not getting paid. These people are doing this on their own time. And there's a lot of work that goes into getting a petition together, getting those signatures, getting things put on the ballot, getting people together and just networking. Like, there's a lot of work that goes into that. And so I love hearing stories about that, man. And seven points, that's a very small margin of victory right there, man. That, that- uh,
1: I'm not I'm not sure if that's exactly right. It was closer than than uh, than I had hoped for. <laughs> I thought it would yeah. be a bigger landslide. And one of the things that I wasn't aware of also was in Florida, I, I'm from South Florida and in Florida there was a ballot initiative, but it was only it, it would only go into effect if they got sixty percent of the vote. Yeah. Um so it got like fifty two percent but it failed. So but in Michigan it was only fifty percent. I don't know the mechanics of, of how that sort of you know how those issues work but um yeah i think you know there's been a lot of momentum on the issue for a while and you know back in 2007 uh that really was a big part of what brought me into to dr paul's message was he was one of the only people talking about the ending the drug war and the problems that come with the the you know the police enforcement of you know victimless crimes right and so um yeah, I think that that appealed to a lot of us who, you know, and then taking that message of peace and and voluntary interaction, uh, and, and extending it into the anti-war and, and you know and, and opposing uh, the heavy regulatory system and, and so many of the other libertarian principles that, um, you know, we can all connect through that that message of peace and non-aggression. So yeah, yeah,
0: hundred percent. And you know, I'm right there with you, man. Ron Paul was one of the first voices of reason that I ever heard on a political uh, stage of any sort. Granted, I I never knew that libertarians actually existed, you know, because I saw Ron Paul as an individual. Like I I just heard like musings of his and different, you know, sayings. Uh, it wasn't until later on in life that I was like, oh shit, Ron Paul was a libertarian, <laughs> and then I understood, <laughs> like, okay, this is what a libertarian is. This is what they aren't. Um, yeah. But but yeah, he was around. I I love that clip with him. I don't know what talk show it was on, but like, dude, he was getting jeered hardcore. Like he was, but he was facing the masses, you know, saying, look, we need to legalize these drugs to end the drug war and everybody's laughing at them. And now it's like, people are starting to listen. People are starting to pay attention yep. to that. And um, so it, from what it's looked like and in, in what has changed, if anything, as far as um, the way the police operate in, in your neck of the woods, whenever that, that was passed.
1: Um. I, I'm not totally sure. I mean, there there's obviously, you can drive around with weed in your car. So that right. wasn't what the law used to be. Uh, I guess there's still, there's, you know, debates about whether, they, I mean, they can't really test people for it. Um, you know, like driving under the influence. They, they try to, um, you know, they have restrictions. They have pretty high taxes on, on the recreational substances, you know, you purchase at the dispensaries. Um, but, uh, you know, as a, as a side note, one interesting, you know, kind of new thing that, that just passed last week was at Ann Arbor, which is not in my district, but it, it's very close by, it's just South of where I live. And, uh, they just passed, uh, legalizing entheogenic substances. So that's, you know, psilocybin, uh, peyote and, and other, um, you know, substances like that nature, it was, it was a part of the decriminalized nature movement, which has, you know, branches and they led the, the decriminalization of, The similar substances in Denver and Oakland, and places that have been, you know, able to to reduce the the law enforcement on you know plants (laughs) and and substances that people have used for thousands of years, Um, and you know, just reducing that that the the presence of the police um, is good in so many different ways, right? It's not just about like you know people can have their own freedom. It's also like reducing the uh, the the role of of the cops and, and their intrusion into people's lives. And, and the, you know, the recent story with Breonna Taylor, uh, where it's a perfect example of how the drug war, how the attempts at prohibition and, and then the violent enforcement of those attempted prohibitions leads to people getting killed. Yeah. And, you know, and, and but uh, you know, I think it's unfortunate that more of the narrative isn't focused on the drug laws themselves. There's a lot of talk about, uh, you know, other kind of side issues. And I think a lot of the the police reform concepts are important to talk about. But I think, you know, if you want to kind of go to the core of the issue, um, you know, one of the examples that I, I like to use is, you know, in Breaking Bad, the show with, you know, Walter White was uh, a <laughs> high school science teacher, got cancer. So he's kind of desperate to make some money. Yeah. So he started cooking meth, right? He used his chemistry skills to cook meth. Um, but because it was illegal, he ended up killing a bunch of people. There's this violent, you know, he became a drug Lord where he could have just, you know, he ended up buying a car wash to launder his money, but he could have just bought the car wash and sold meth out of the car wash. Right. And I think the, the weird sort of way that people look at it and the, the false assumption in, in my perspective, at least is that the idea that it would be legalized would lead to all these people just clamoring to get these drugs. And I don't think that that's, that, that's just a, a weird way of looking at, at your neighbors, right? Like, right. you think the only reason they're not doing drugs is because the, they're scared of the police? Like, right. that, that just, that's, not, that's not how it works. And, and people who want to get drugs, get drugs. Like, that's, that's the nature of the marketplace, right? There will be providers and there will be, you know, if there is a demand, there will be a supply. Uh, and, and all that happens. And I think, you know, we, in, in our understanding of alcohol prohibition, in our you know modern day, we look back at that and it's easy to recognize the organized crime that sprang out of it, the corrupt incentives that you know expanded the role of the FBI, um, and you know as and then they kind of once alcohol prohibition got removed, they went into you know trying to prohibit marijuana, and they they just they they uh, that entire process is you know it for one infringes on liberty, but it also just spreads violence in society. You know right. I, I think that and. and the the yeah trying to to reframe the question about what is the role of government and where is the role of individual liberty uh, is a big part of my motivation in so many different issues um and i think that this is one where there is momentum in our direction towards freedom and you know against the police state so yeah
0: yeah that's where it starts uh big time for me from where i'm sitting is You watch the progression of, you know, what did the average police officer look like? And throughout the years, as the drug war ramped up and ramped up and ramped up, so did the armament of officers. You know, um, you're sending police out to go into people's homes, you know, without, without even having to announce themselves in some cases and getting shocked that people are getting shot either side, you know, I mean, let's, yeah, yeah, cops getting shot. That's the logical conclusion. But, uh, I don't know if you remember the couple down in Houston, it was a few years ago and like, it was a completely bogus raid. Like the, the undercover off agent or officer working on the case had lied and said, Oh, there's drugs in this household. And, And essentially what happened is, is the, the SWAT team came in, kicked in the door, no knock raid and ended up killing the couple, and come to find out they didn't have any drugs in the house whatsoever like they weren't doing anything nefarious and so it's like we went from having a very simple easy to comprehend role of the police department into having this very complex set of standards that now they have to have this qualified immunity just to be able to supposedly do their jobs that that's been laid out for them if your job is so fucking complicated that you need to get out of jail free card for it. Like maybe your job isn't necessary. Maybe,
1: I think, you know, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, for the, the idea of, of, you know, collectively defending our neighbors and the idea that there's uh, a role of society to, uh, you know, protect property and, and institute justice and have, have a, a, a system of laws. Um, can it, it that that entire dynamic has been so uh corrupted and expanded as the role of government has uh, you know on, on one level violated the constitutional restraints that should have been that you know were, were originally imposed on it um and and as the the role of the police and the regulatory system and you know uh the, you know from gun control laws you think about how many people uh are either in prison or put into a much more violent situation when they interact with police because they have a weapon that's technically illegal, right? Maybe they have it to protect themselves or it doesn't really matter why, you know, they're violating, technically violating the law, but it creates this conflict that's totally unnecessary, right? The, the entrance of the law enforcement officer because the laws are too big, right? They, they are not geared to protecting people and their property they're about controlling people. And, right. and so I think, you know, trying to the, the message of self ownership is something that I think is, is a great way of framing libertarian principles. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that idea that we own our bodies and our properties and our choices, and that's the nature of liberty. Uh, whereas, you know, when the state comes in and creates conflict, whether uh, in, in, in terms of the drug war or in foreign wars or in just excessive regulus regulation and occupational licensing of you know busting down businesses or the lockdowns that happened with you know there was just a, a recent story of a lady getting tased for not wearing a mask i saw you know, that it's like yeah. it's it's stuff like that where i think you know th- there's there's an opportunity for the libertarian message to connect with more people and i think that the beauty or you know one of my favorite things uh, about it and in, in the the process of of looking at every issue through the lens of self-ownership and peace and the non-aggression principle, um, the consistency of that is is fascinating and it's it's enjoyable. And, and there are so many libertarians, you know, out here who see the world through that lens. And it can be very frustrating to look at the political system and to try to, you know, look at the language that they use. And it's like, that's not even, that, you know, that's not the way we look at this, you know, right. <laughs> like, those words don't really reflect, right? You're you're completely avoiding the actual question of what is the role of government in our society, um, and instead they're they're haggling and they're trying to you know create the pretense that Democrats versus Republicans. That's the real question, and you know I, I see uh, just to talk a little bit about my my congressional race, like both my opponents are agents. I have been agents of the state. They've both worked in government, and they you know reflect the very you know partisan nature. Of of you know typical Congress people, I think you know there's some chance. I think it's it's likely even that they're you know well-intended people who really think that they should be the ones wielding power. Uh, and I just take a totally different view of the role of of you know of, of Congress. And my my favorite part of the Constitution is the first part of the First Amendment. It says Congress shall make no law. Boom, that's where it's at. There you go, <laughs> right there. And then they, you know it goes on from there. But I think you know that idea of free expression and free speech. Um, is a part of, of the reason why the drug war has been so failed, is because the government has you know infringed on our rights uh, to, to live and let live, to, to live peacefully and, and engage with each other voluntarily.
0: Throughout the entirety of human history, people have been doing substances to alter their state of mind forever. So, for any government to be so full of itself to think that it can pass some law to change the course of human history is absolutely. It's just insanity is what it is. Yep. I don't know why they ever thought that this was going to be something they could win, um, especially being so closely on the uh, on, on the tail of the prohibition era, failing spectacularly. And it only took them just a, a decade, a little over a decade to figure out, okay, this isn't working, but now here we are 40 years and trillions of dollars later, and we're still keeping it up. And I think that, you know, another part of it is like arguing from a a libertarian perspective, and maybe you can tell me if you've run across this before yourself, but I've been told like, oh, you want everybody to go out and use heroin? And it's like, no, I'm not advocating for a normality of shooting black tar heroin. I am saying that the state solution doesn't work and the market solution can potentially do that. Have you had run across that yourself?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's there. I think the that it's a very common retort, right? That's that's what people are fearful of. And I think when we talk about the alcohol prohibition, there was broad popular support for it, right? That a constitutional amendment was passed, and so like lots of states, like like people voted to prohibit alcohol. And and yeah. you know what happened? What came out of that was the organized crime and the massive expansion of the police state and the role of the FBI. Um, and, and so I think that the idea that, uh, like, like I said before, the idea that if it was legal, everybody would just be out there doing math, or way more people, or kids would have access to it. And I think you know, for many uh, recreational cannabis users who uh, were pursuing that as teenagers or young adults, uh, it was easier to procure uh, marijuana than it was to get alcohol, because alcohol you know, sales were registered and licensed. Um, whereas with cannabis the people you were buying you know the substances from uh, were not you know constrained by the 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 process of of you know registering all of their sales and and the taxation process and whatever else so having you know the the forcing everything into the black market makes it more accessible for uh, for it just corrupts the entire process and and it, it engages it just creates the conflict and it creates the fear and I think you know, from back with like the reefer madness propaganda and, yeah. and so many things like throughout the, the history of, of cannabis prohibition, um, you know, one of the stories that I, I like to mention, it's kind of random. It's not really about the point that you were saying, but the, uh, the, um, the original prohibition of, of cannabis was based on prohibiting hemp. And there was collusion between the guy who was running the FBI, Harry Anslinger, and his buddy who uh, Garrison, or somebody or other, Hearst, who became Hearst-like media, like his, his company, uh, owned a bunch of paper mills. And they didn't want hemp competing with paper. What the so that's, that was a big part of the motivation. They were getting rid of alcohol prohibition. So there was this idea, okay, hey, we can ban hemp. We can have the FBI maintain their role and, you know, make sure they keep getting their funding. And it works out for good for me with the paper mills. So Hearst played a large part in spreading the propaganda that marijuana was so dangerous and, you know, a lot of racist propaganda as well during that time. Um, and, and so like, it's just, you can so often see the corrupt incentives in the origination of these laws that just mess with people and just spread violence throughout our society. Yeah, And I think, you know, to, to go back to what you were saying about in terms of the, the way that people are fearful of these drugs. Um, you know, I like to use that example of, of Breaking Bad. I think that's it's a useful way of thinking about it, right? Like the man made a product and he's trying to sell it, but instead of just being able to sell it to people who are already using a similar product, uh, an inferior product, um, that, you know, he had to become a drug lord to be able to survive, really. Yeah. And I, you know, in, in, in absence of the violent state, right? People are just going to engage peacefully and people do lots of self-destructive things, right? Like people make lots of bad choices out here in, in life. We all do, right? Yeah. Um, and I think that that substance abuse is made worse and made more violent and more dangerous, right? A lot of times the, the increases in overdoses uh, are connected to substances being um, you know messed with and, and uh, additional things thrown in there or different strengths than people are used to rather than getting a more consistent product from a producer who um, you know is invested in maintaining you know not not killing their customers for one uh, and also you know following the sort of market-based uh, regulations that would allow them to you know just find, the marketplace will always happen. If there is a demand, there will be a supply. And the, 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 also the, the problem with, as uh, you know, one of the things that I think is useful to point out, that's not usually a part of this, is that a lot of the foreign aid, right, that U.S. calls foreign aid, the government spending that they give to Central American company, or countries, uh, goes directly to their police militarization. So they are paying Central American governments to try to, you know, to fight the drug cartels, and it's just exacerbating that violence as well. So like these, you know, countries that have you know plenty of other issues are, you know, basically just given American dollars to expand their police force, and it just creates more violence in those societies as well. So it's not even just limited to like the U.S. government's problems in the drug war, and obviously, you know, in Afghanistan, that's a big part of it as well. There have been, you know, the, there were pictures years ago, I'm not sure how long this went on for, but, uh, you know, pictures of U.S. soldiers guarding poppy fields yeah. to try to get on good terms with the farmers. Yeah. And, you know, like, it's, it's stuff like that, that it's, it's absurd. I mean, it's, it's absolutely insane. And I my optimistic side, you know, looks at the, the, the idea that in 50 years or 75 years, those, you know, people in the future will look back at this time in the same, you know, sort of confusion and, and disgust that we think of alcohol prohibition. Um, I think that's likely. I think that, you know, at least I I hope that that's the the positive, you know, I think that that's that's the goal. That's the way that we should, you know, try to point out the fact that, um, yeah, that freedom is better than violence. That's always the libertarian message. Um, And that, you know, by by adding, you know, the prohibition, it doesn't reduce drug use. It just makes it, you know, more violent and puts more people in in jail and causes so many other problems. So,
0: yeah. And the, the, point that uh, I also would like to bring up is that so not only are we giving money to these other countries to supposedly fight drugs but then you look at like Obama's Fast and the Furious campaign (laughs) where like we literally armed the cartels like dude I I don't know if you've seen any like recent uh, videos of the cartels that exist like in Brazil like there's Red Command uh, there's a couple of other ones and they are better armed than even our own troops are and I mean, I mean, like, legitimate firepower, and they're rolling around and, and they have, you know, they've taken control. They, they just they run everything, man. Um, yeah. I I worked with a guy and his family lives back in Guatemala. And I asked him like, hey, you know, like, what's it like, like, what's it like in some of those spots where the cartels bad? And he said, his cousin was 13 years old and there's like a known curfew it's it's not like a government imposed curfew it's a cartel imposed curfew in his little town that he's from and like if you're out past then bad shit happens and his 13 year old cousin went to the little store down the street to get something for his mom cartel sees him puts him in the car and says you're working for us now and he's like screaming and crying and like please let me go and they finally let him go and they say if we catch you again you're going to be we're going to make you run some, run, run some work for us, you know, and it's just like, it doesn't have to be that way, man. Like, it that, that is 100%. So, like, we're giving money to these other countries to help them fight the corruption when the one thing that could fight the corruption and fight the bad circumstances is to legalize the drugs across the board. If we had yep. a, a, a place where like these drugs can be brought to market in the open air and not have to be worried about it, you don't have cartels who are just destroying people's lives left and right. And it's not just there, man. Cartels over here do some really nasty shit. Yeah. Uh, you know, as as a former drug addict myself, like I saw plenty of it, man. Like they don't fuck around at all. And um, yeah, yeah, it doesn't have to be
1: that way. Yeah, no, it's brutal. There was a, uh, there was a story just uh, about a month ago, um, where, uh, you know, kid got shot in the back by cops um, in Orlando, he had a gun on him. And he was on parole, He, he got arrested when he was 17 for selling weed. Right. And so they locked him in a cage for two and a half years. He gets out, he's in a parking lot, the cops aren't even looking for him, but he thinks they might be. And so he you know, tries to avoid them and they like say, Hey, stop or whatever. And then they, they shoot him up right in Orlando. Um, and I mean, it was just a terrible story. And you just think like how different his life could have been if maybe he still would have sold weed, but it wouldn't have been illegal. And he could have, you know, just made money and had like a normal job and been a part. But instead, you know, his entire life was derailed at age 17. Yeah. Um, and he was basically forced into a violent system and then locked in a cage with other, you know, with criminals you know, some of whom were probably in for similar things. And I just think, you know, that that's not a story that gets as much national attention because, uh, you know, it he was in prison for a while and he had a weapon on him. But it's like it's still a story of a victim of the drug war and the police state. And and it's it's just there's so many examples of people and, and communities whose lives are totally destroyed. And, you know, there's the stuff with the, the CIA bringing in drugs and with Pablo Escobar, and like, like there's a long history of the government, you know, scaring people into, uh, you know, advocating for expansive, violent law enforcement. And I think that that just trying to to reframe it, trying to to point at the fact that there are so many victims in ways that people don't always recognize as a part of the problem, and really focus on trying to get rid of these laws. And I mean, I know that I, you know, I, I don't personally know many police officers. I've heard other people talk about. Their interactions with police officers, where the cops wish that they weren't having to deal with these drug laws either, right? Like they they don't you know want to, or at least some, uh, you know don't want to be messing with people who are just you know basically killing themselves or you know doing things that aren't you know that dangerous at all, uh, depending on you know the, the drugs that they're using. But it's like, but instead, that's the job that they have, and they're you know required to do all of these, you know, lock people up and, and, you know, go after people who aren't hurting anybody else. Um, They're, you know, they're just using substances that they acquire illegally. And, you know, there would be a much less need for that militarization of police. And, you know, they would be able to potentially at least, you know, do things that are less destructive and have a a more positive role. Uh, I think a lot of the animosity towards cops is based in their enforcement of drug laws and gun laws. I think, you know, I think it goes right along together as just and with with many other prohibitions as well. But I think that these are are two where the it as soon as someone is technically violating a law and they have a potential to interact with a police officer, it creates this conflict that that, you know, it just leads to more violence. Um, and that's you know, it's tragic. And so you know, I am grateful that in Michigan, they've legalized cannabis and like I said, the Ann Arbor story is pretty exciting. I think that there's a little bit of movement. Um, and yeah, I, I you had mentioned Ron Paul talking about legalizing heroin. And he's like, well, if heroin was legal, do you think a lot of people would be going out there and doing it? And you know, I think that, you know, the, to just try to challenge people's assumptions and challenge their fears in a way of reframing it and, and, and always trying to make the argument that the government is too big, you know, uh, Dr. Jorgensen, our Libertarian Party presidential candidate, it's too big, too bossy and too intrusive. Yeah, and often hurts people that it's trying to help. And I, I really like that part of her message. Um, and I, yeah, and I think you know, I totally agree with that sentiment. And, and I think uh, that's, that's the role that, that libertarians are, are trying to to just change the dynamic a little bit um, towards peace.
0: So. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, one thing I love that mama Joe says is she said, we don't have a drug problem. We have a prohibition problem. Yeah. I absolutely. fucking love that, man. That's exactly <laughs> what it is though. It, it, it yeah. really is. Um, and here's the deal is that, you know, we think it, it, as somebody who's in recovery as an addict. So like when I came and started going to meetings, like I really thought the drugs were the problem for me. Like, I thought that because they existed, that is why I was having the problems of not being able to stop using a fucking my whole life up. And it wasn't until I got clean and somebody explained to me that that was just a symptom of the problem, that there was other things that were at play that was causing me to behave and act the way that I did. And much the same way, once we as a society and, you know, hopefully the government can, can understand that the drugs aren't the fucking problem maybe we can approach this a different way maybe we can actually start to see some progress in the right direction but as it stands man it's not going to work you know as long as there is a vice somebody's going to be out to make money on it regardless if it's legal or not right so with what what we do know is that if it's legal if you're able to buy it from the market you know exactly what you're purchasing you also have some way of pursuing damages if you're given something that's bullshit on top of that you don't have to worry about One of the other things that Joe talks about is like, when's the last time that you saw two liquor stores, you know, having a gun battle over which corner they're going to sell their booze on, you know? And when's the last time you saw a liquor store roaming the halls of a high school selling vodka? Like it doesn't happen. And so, you know, you're really forcing a lot of these insane situations by having these drugs stay illegal. So hopefully people are starting to wake up to that. Um, I'm not going to sit here and like say BLM or anything like that, but I will say that I think that there's some sort of conversation that's beginning to happen. If we could just all focus and stop being, you know, insane with each other, maybe we can actually go in the right direction with this deal.
1: Yeah. I think, you know, a lot of times the discussion of systemic racism is focused on the racism part. Uh-huh. Um, but I think we, there's an opportunity to really focus on the system itself. Yes. I think that that's where it's a more of a uniting message. It's not something, it, it's something where we can talk about the violent system that imposes its will and oppresses people across the board, you know, in, in many different, you know, um, uh, areas in our country. And, and so trying to, to reframe, you know, a, a lot of times there's that, you know, kind of concept. It's not left versus right. It's the state versus you. Yep. And I think, I, you know, I like that. I think that that's, that's a, a simplistic maybe way of putting it, but it's, it's exactly right. Um, and that's, that's really at least the way that the libertarian uh, you know, message should be delivered, uh, where we you know, think that people are capable and competent of making their own decisions. And one of the things that I, I, I really get a positive response from this, uh, maybe it's not as clever as I think it is, but I, I feel like the, the drug war is a form of guaranteed universal healthcare. It's an attempt at that, right? It's the, the public officials who are controlling resources determining what medical substances or what you know substances people are able to take in their body right you know? and it becomes this idea of like there's this massive public funding that goes into the drug war and i think it's it's similar in a principle way in, in the terms of how it violates self-ownership yeah uh, in in my perspective it's it's the it's wrong for the same reasons as state-run health care is as so many other you know uh restrictions um, you know, Joe, and one of her things she said, abolish the FDA. I, yes, that's, that's great. In, in terms of that, that bodily autonomy, that people can make our own decisions, that we can, you know, evaluate the choices that we make with our bodies, with our time, with our labor, with our financial resources. And in, in the same way that it's wrong and, and that, you know, the, the attempts at government prohibition of, uh, you know, drugs of illegal drugs it's the same as the heavy regulatory burdens that they put on people trying to get pharmaceutical drugs or you know so many other you know medical substances out there or medical services um that instead of having more political control the argument is to reduce that you know political violence that is imposed on limiting the options and and driving up costs to consumers in the marketplace right like in you know we were talking about with with the the drug cartels in in Central America the cost of drugs would be way less if it wasn't illegal. There'd be much more competition in the marketplace and it would be, you know, a situation where there wouldn't be these massive profits going to, you know, maybe there would still be super corrupt organizations, right. That are, you know, out there trying to advertise their products in, in malicious and mischievous ways. Right. Right. That, that, that always exists, right. That, that's always a part of, 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 um, you know, producers in the marketplace trying to sell their products. Um, but I think that the message of freedom and free markets is that consumers are capable of learning for themselves, of of you know making their own decisions uh, as as much as possible. We should push in that direction. Absolutely. And so that's where I think that you know trying to to reframe the way that people you know imagine some government-run healthcare system, uh, it'd be similar. You know, they they call they call for free healthcare or free college, but they don't think that the Pentagon offers free national defense. Right, even though it's another, it's a similar example, right? There's government-controlled system providing, you know, what people need according to them at no cost to the end user, which is, you know, the same way that they described, you know, Medicare for all. So I think that, uh, you know, trying to because I, I think that a lot of progressives recognize the problems with the drug war. That's something that they've been, you know, the defund the police type of rhetoric. Um, they they have some empathy, uh, and and we have some common ground on these issues, but and trying to challenge them and you know, trying to find a way to to share the message of self-ownership and anti-government control. Um, I think that's, that's a, a parallel that I try to draw. Like I said, I haven't had too much success with that, well, uh, but that's the way I, I try to frame it. And I think libertarians might like it, but uh, yeah.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, as time goes on, we can see that the consistent positions that libertarians have taken throughout the years are starting to be more readily accepted. Now, granted, if we can just stop getting people to bristle with antagonism whenever they hear the term libertarian, libertarian or libertarianism, if we could somehow divorce whatever type of bad taste that that person has in their mouth with that word, I think we have a real shot at really giving, spoon-feeding these principles to to the public as we see it, because America, as and, and this government, which is the biggest empire the world has ever seen, this has all been one grand social experiment. This is, this is something that was brand new, right? Like, this wasn't ever done before. A democratically elected, uh, you know, leadership and, you know, a, a, a republic, as, as it were, and it's a refinement. It's a refinement as it's gone along. Now, unfortunately for us, that refinement for the past, you know, 40, 50 years has been nothing but increasing government power while decreasing the rights of the populace. If we can somehow flip that around and start showing the benefits of that. And I think that we're going to start seeing that with like what you, you've you done in, or y'all have done in your backyard with legalizing cannabis, um, you know, the decriminalization efforts for psilocybin and, and, and things along those lines uh, that has happened in Denver. We're actually about to start some efforts along that way here in Oklahoma and Norman. And I think once we have enough like tangible evidence like look this has helped like this this is the this has helped us you know look at the crime statistics look at look at how it's affected the communities i think we have a real shot at at getting people to kind of stomach some of these other broader points like, you know, you had talked about like a medical medic, Medicare system, like, you know, maybe taking another approach to that instead of Medicare for all, like, let's listen to the libertarians on this one. Let's listen to the libertarians on what it means to have a economy, uh, free markets. What does that mean? You know, and so, um, but at, at the crux of it all, man, the drug war is the problem that we have today.
1: I think yeah, it's it's definitely been one of the issues that you know, like I said, kind of my my uh, start into libertarianism, um, and I think you know one of the, to to your point about trying to use the the common ground and trying to spoon feed it to people. I think that the two areas where the libertarian uh, message, or at least two prominent areas that we have been successful in reducing the role of government, has been the progress towards you know, legalizing marijuana, and with marriage equality. And I think in both of those situations, right, it wasn't like the left and both of those, you know, kind of came were more led by people uh, who are more on on the left side of things on on the blue team. But I, they were not all of a sudden converted into recognizing property rights. They're not like, you know what, I think people should own themselves and their bodies. And that's why, marijuana should be legal. No, it was much more about the fact that people were victims of the government policy, that people were prohibited from having the same right to marry the person that they loved, because a government law was in the way. And I think, and and the same things, the problems with, you know, criminalizing marijuana, and, and the mass incarceration that came out of that, and, you know, it's, it's kind of shocking to me still that Joe Biden is the nominee, considering his role on being yeah. really on the wrong side of it. It's yeah. just, I was really surprised that he was, anyway, that's, that's another issue. But the, the, the idea that, we, that our libertarian message is most effective when we focus on the fact that government policy creates victims, right? That we can point to the fact that expansive violence by the state is hurting people. Um, because a lot of times politics is based in fear and politics is based, you know, people want to solve problems and they see politicians who, you know, are are concerned about the same things that they are as the better, you know, representatives of their fears. And so right. I think that as even though, you know, I would prefer to try to have more of a philosophical conversation and talk about the self-ownership and property rights and from that, that concept of, of restricting the government in a broader sense, that the, the getting the foot in the door um, is by focused on by focusing on on the victims that come out of the, the expansive role of the political system, and, right. and the fact that it hurts so many people. And so um, if I could, I have a little pet issue that I'd like to bring up, <laughs> um, no and I don't know, but it's, it's an example of, of this, where there's a law in Congress, um, and I, you know, I don't know what the status is in Oklahoma, um, but the, the, there's a law called the Daylight Act, and the Daylight Act would enable states to implement permanent daylight savings time. Now, Florida, uh, Washington, and Utah, and uh, there are 12 states total, That have implemented some sort of law at the state level that, and I don't think Oklahoma is one of those 12 states, but uh, 12 states have either passed a a law in the state legislature or a resolution of some sort that would move to either be on permanent standard time uh, or uh, or actually no, all of these 12 states are trying to get onto permanent daylight savings time. But as of right now, based on a law from 1966, that's prohibited. So Florida passed a law in 2018, to be on permanent daily savings time. They're all the way on the east side of the eastern time zone, right? But the federal law mandates that they change their clocks back and forth. What the fuck? (laughs) I know. And so the Daylight Act is written by a guy in Utah. It has 21 co-sponsors, Democrats and Republicans. Thomas Massey is one who's a co-sponsor. And I think that it's, you know, President Trump's tweeted in 2018 that making daylight savings time permanent is okay with me. That was his tweet. And, and so there's some momentum for this issue. And, you know, the way that I, you know, I could talk about states' rights as like a 10th Amendment issue. People should be able to, you know, determine for themselves. But I think the better pitch is the, there have been dozens of studies that talk about how this hurts people, how it throws off people's circadian rhythms. There are higher heart attacks and strokes. Um, there, there was a study in Australia that pointed to higher suicides. Uh, in the month following the the spring forward right the, the fall back uh, in november they subsidize us with an hour we get an extra hour of sleep no problem but right. in the spring forward they tax that hour back away and it literally kills people there are 28 additional car accident deaths every year no from shit. the spring forward based on you know and there are a variety of studies um there's a blogger who's talked about this for for many years he's testified in front of state legislature his name's scott yates he has a ton of, of stuff on his website and so, you know, for anyone listening, if you just want to add your little voice to, you know, call your congressperson and say, hey, you know, this is a bill that wouldn't hurt anybody. Uh, I, I don't know what the impact would be in a lot of states. In Michigan, it literally wouldn't matter. So it, like and Michigan has a bill at the state level to be on permanent standard time. I think that would make sense. We're all the way on the west side of the time zone, right? So um, it would be a little bit better to be on either central time or, or you know, uh um, and, and, you know, one of the things people bring up is Arizona doesn't change their clocks because they're on permanent standard time. That's allowed. That's legal. <laughs> but the federal wow. prohibition is only on permanent daylight savings time. And so uh, it's, it's kind of a silly issue. It's something that uh, it, it got, my libertarian you know, sensibilities say that politicians can't really solve many problems. I, I don't see them as like public servants saving us, obviously. right. Um, but this is one area where there's bipartisan support it's a good idea. And the idea that we have, you know, a 25 hour day and a 23 hour day is so stupid. And like, nobody <laughs> likes it, but for the same reason, like nobody cares, right? Like yeah. for the most part, it's not something that, you know, might usually people respond kind of apathetic, like, yeah, you know, I'm just kind of used to it. Um, but it's, it like literally kills people, it, it causes problems. And, you know, I, I used to be a, a math teacher, and I've talked with other you know, teachers, and and it throws off the kids for like the week after. You know, losing that hour of sleep is destructive, man. And so, you know, it's it's not the biggest deal, but I think that there's there's uh, it, it's it's worthwhile to bring up, and it's an example of how the federal government meddles in our lives and makes us change our clocks around. Um, and it's it's just it's absolutely nonsense. Um, and so, you know, unfortunately, there have been no new co-sponsors on the bill since March, since you know the COVID stuff. And I think, right. you know, with, with COVID, there are a few, you know, we, uh, there's stuff about how vitamin D, you know, can help you and having longer afternoons would be good for that. Uh, and, and also like the mental health aspect of it, um, you know, it, it, it hurts people and we're at an all time more isolated uh, and, you know, mental health stress for many people is that, is you know, is in a tenuous state. And so I think this would be one example where maybe the federal government could get out of the way and, and hurt people a little bit less, um, so anyway, that's just my <laughs> little issue that I, I like to bring up. I think it's, it's useful as a way of smuggling in the broader libertarian principles. Um, yeah, so. Absolutely, man. Now you got me all fired up. Shit. <laughs> Fuck daylight savings, man.
0: <laughs> I didn't know that that, that was a thing. I didn't, I mean, I knew I've heard people talk about, you know, st- legislation coming along those lines, but I didn't know that like there's actual data backing up that it's harmful to people. Like that's, that's pretty awesome right there. No,
1: it's been, there have been, you know, dozens of studies uh, over the years that, and and none of them say there are no problems. There are different, um, you know, sort of uh, estimates about how much it hurts people. But I think the the detailed study over, I think it went over 30 years uh, with the car accidents. And I think the, the study in Australia that I mentioned with the suicides, it even tracked like they could see the difference from when they changed when the daylight savings time uh, was put into effect. And, and so there is an active legislation in Oklahoma,
0: Okay, uh,
1: looking at, at Scott Yates' website here. Um, and uh, yeah, I think, uh, you know, whether it's focusing on state legislators and like, it, this is another thing where my optimistic sensibilities uh, I think in the future, people will look back at this and be like, oh, my God, the government used to make people change their clocks back and forth <laughs> because of like yeah. lobbying by the Chamber of Commerce and like fearmongering." And of course, you know, it came out of war and saving electricity costs with so many things. It was like that was the origination of the policy um, was mind
0: boggling right there.
1: Fearmongering mongering and, and absolute nonsense. And so, yeah, I think. Uh, yep. The, the laws in Oklahoma is to establish permanent standard time. There are okay. two different, uh, or there's, it's just listed twice here, but, uh, okay. I figure, you know, it was introduced by a Republican, Daniel pay and it failed. And huh. so, okay. uh, the bill right now in, in Congress is sitting in the, uh, subcommittee for like energy and consumer protection, which, uh, the phrase consumer protection is always that, that, that one triggers me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. But, um, yeah. Yeah, so it's, you know, one of those things where I, I don't expect, you know, I, I figure uh, the fallback is November first, which is two days before the election, and it'll probably happen. Um, but maybe, you know, if in some small way, I was able to contribute to, you know, raising a little bit of awareness about the issue and having a few people, you know, call their Congress people and make some noise and say, hey, just become a co-sponsor on the bill, especially in the states. You know, I've sent emails to all of the Congress people in states that have passed uh, the bills. Um, that you know that that states that have elected at the state level to go on permanent um daily savings time but yeah so you know we'll see it's it's unlikely to pass the government likes to it's difficult to you know enact positive changes but uh gradually and incrementally uh, as more and more states move in this direction to hopefully you know hashtag lock the clock is is scott yates's thing um okay yeah i think you know if uh Yeah, I know, I know it's it's not the, the biggest issue. It doesn't really have anything to do with the drug war.
0: Well, hell <laughs> but, no. I mean, like that's for me, I, I'm sitting here thinking like, man, how badass would it be if I never had to worry ever again about setting my clock forward or back? It's just like that clock. I said it. It's good forever. You know what I mean? Like unless the power goes out, I don't have to worry about this shit again. Yeah. Like, I, I mean, like that's it.
1: how clocks work, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's what they're built to do. And right. yet we mess with them. And yeah, I just the entire concept of it. I felt like as I was getting into this, you know, being on the ballot for Congress and I, you know, I can't take myself too seriously with it. So I needed to have an issue uh, that I could, you know, talk about and do a little bit of research on and, and be able to, you know, voice some advocacy for. And it was an issue that I thought fit really well with, uh, you know, my overall perspective on, on reducing the, the role of government and its meddling in our lives. So, yeah, it's uh, all right.
0: Well, hashtag lock the clock then, right? Yeah, that's that's the one. All right. Well, um, Joe, I, I really appreciate you coming on, bud. this has been a great time. Um, I'm sorry if I've rambled at all. It's been a long week for me. But um, before we end this, uh, do you want to plug anything besides the daylight savings thing?
1: Um Not really, man. I I just, uh, you know, for for any of your listeners, I I just encourage you to, uh, you know, run your mouth about libertarian ideas, but try to always do it in in as empathetic and a thoughtful way as possible. Like, Like, you know, you had mentioned before, a lot of times, you know, there's infighting within libertarianism. And, and my goal is to be, you know, as kind and empathetic with the way that we deliver the message, because the, we should always be focused on trying to reduce the power of the political system. I don't have anything bad to say, you know, really about my opponents as individuals, um, but more about what they represent as, as messengers of the Republicans and Democrats um, you know, who have created this stagnant system. And, you know, unfortunately I, the one thing I'm a little bit bitter about is that I was excluded from the debates. I was really hoping to have an opportunity to, you know, get up there and, and, and share my message in that sort of form. But I really appreciate you, you know, having me on, on your show today. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, I look forward to, you know, anybody else who'd want to have me on, I'd be happy to, to, to be on your show or, or actually, you know, give me a call 248-382-8448, uh, is my campaign number. And I, you know, I'm always happy to talk to other libertarians, uh, you know, I hope uh, I did a decent job today. I, I thought this was a fun conversation. And I appreciate the, you know, the work you're doing and your emphasis on the drug war. So uh, yeah, absolutely, man.
0: man. Well, we'll have you on again in the future at some point, uh, maybe after the election. We'll see how you did. I'm pulling for you, buddy. <laughs>
1: yeah, thanks, man. Um, but and just just one other little shout out was, uh, you know, I, I heard you on uh, Felony Friday, and that is an exceptional podcast. Uh, it can be, you know, really emotional. Um, but John Odermatt and the lines of Liberty guys, but like the felony Friday that in terms of the, the problems of the criminal justice system, that's an exceptional podcast. Yes, it um, is. So just to, you know, to shout out to him. Yeah. yeah
0: big, big time, man. John Odermatt's doing all the good and that segment specifically felony Friday. Um, there's a lot of stuff on there. That's pretty, pretty gut turning. Yeah. Pretty gut turning, man. Yeah. Like it's, uh um, yeah, this thing goes pretty deep, but, uh, with that, Joe, going to let you go. Thanks a lot for joining us, and we'll see you again later on, man.
1: Thanks, Drew. All right. Take it
0: easy. All right. Well, I hope you guys got something out of that. I know I did. You know, um, I knew we were going to talk about the war on drugs, and I knew that we'd probably talk on, you know, Joe's run for Congress in Michigan. One thing I did not know that we were going to talk about was the daylight savings time. And I'm going to be real honest with you guys. I have never really given a whole lot of thought to daylight savings beyond. I hate setting my clock forward or back every year. Like, that's a really bad time. And, you know, I've never really thought, why do we do this? I always assume that, you know, there's a scientist out there who's like, this is, you know, what we need to be doing. But the reality of the situation is we're doing it still because that's just what we've always done. And I don't know that that's necessarily a good enough reason to keep something around. So um, and one thing that I promised Joe I would do was put this in the outro is he said he wished he had put it in there is that. 2020 has been so bad why not go for one hour less of it and we can do that by contacting our our legislators and telling them to support hr 1601 that is the daylight act and it is currently in subcommittee and um so yeah do that man um I want to thank Joe for coming on the show, for having that talk with us. Um, If you you get a chance to, go to Joe's website. It's J-O-E, the number four c-o-n-g-r-e-s-s that's joe4congress.vote v-o-t-e that's his website i will also have his twitter handle in the show notes and uh yeah hope you guys enjoyed that and today i'm going to start doing something a little bit different at the end of each episode i'm going to start sharing a little uh, bit of my musical influence with you guys if you want to listen to it great if not great I, it, you know it's on you um, but I think the world needs a little bit more punk rock I think the world needs to get back to its rebellious roots and that's where I got my rebellious roots was a lot of the music that I listened to and so today I'm gonna share with you guys a song by the band crass now crass came out of Essex England uh, they were they were around from like the 1977 through 84 these guys were old school anarcho punk i mean this is crust punk this is like the real deal man and uh this is a song called punk is dead by crass and uh, if you get a chance check out the lyrics you'll kind of see why this is important to me they're talking about how when punk rock was originally formulated and started to get like a, a following, it, it was dead by, by the moment that it hit the market and people started to commercialize it and sell it as a, uh, as a quantifiable good. And you can't sell rebellion. That's not the way it works. And so these guys really kind of solidified something in me. And that's this rebellious spirit and to, to question authority. And yeah, it's just a badass tune. And I hope that you guys like it. And with that, I'll leave you with the song. Y'all have a wonderful week. We'll see you next
2: weekend. i a Stop scouting.